Do you seek the freedom to pursue greater meaning and purpose in your life? Is there something that you're passionate about that you'd like to support by giving time, talent, or money? Do you seek a level of financial freedom to live an ideal life as you uniquely define it? Welcome to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to helping you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. Welcome to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. Thanks for being with us. Like Jeff, I am a certified financial planner licensee. This show is all about helping you discover what matters most and then helping you get your actions and resources in alignment with your goals, combining excellence in wealth management with the pursuit of meaning and purpose in your life. Jeff Bernier is the founder, president, and chief investment officer at Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, a wealth management firm in Alpharetta, Georgia, a suburb in the greater Atlanta area. Jeff, how are things going with you and your team? Uh, we are all good. Good, Mike. This is, uh, as you know, our May episode. And, um, you know, we're past the pollen in Atlanta, so it's become really good, really good golf weather. All right. All right. So what's on the agenda for today? Well, let's let's start with a couple of questions. Um, so the first one, Mike, is what is the name of our show? Oh, well, I just said it, so I should know this one. <laughs> the Money and Meaning Show. Y- yeah, it's not a, not a trick question. Okay, good. Uh, okay. So tell me something that... It gives you meaning my faith family and friends okay perfect that sounds really intentional yeah uh so the last question uh what is more important to you people or things i would have it depends on the type of people <laughs> but, but usually that answers people I think. okay perfect <laughs> well today's topic is is all about how we communicate and relate to other people and to recognize that we, you know, we do have similarities and we have differences. And, you know, I'm really excited today. I have a special guest on today's call. And let me let me set this guest up um, with a little bit of an introduction. Uh, like you, Mike, um, I attend a lot of various educational events and conferences throughout the year. And I think you and I both agree that really to be excellent in our profession, we have to continue to invest in our development and learn and grow. And Um, But as I've gotten a little older, I've gotten much more discerning on the types of events that I attend. And... um and sometimes you go to these these sessions, and there's some really useful content, but the speaker is just so dry and not engaging that it's just boring, and you can't hardly get through it. There are others that are really, really entertaining, but there's really not a lot of valuable content. Well, it's rare that you get someone that has both, and really insightful information presented by a speaker who's really entertaining and engaging. Well, my guest is certainly one of those rare individuals who combines really useful information with an uh, entertaining delivery and style. I've seen him speak on several occasions um, and feel really uh, fortunate that he agreed to join us uh, today's call. So Cam Marston is the founder and president of Generational Insights. He's a leading expert on the impact of generational change and its impact on the workplace, uh, the workplace and the marketplace. He's written a lot of books. He's a columnist, a blogger. Uh, He's got a podcast as well. He's a really sought out speaker in our industry, but also outside of the financial services industry because he's really an expert on how the generations relate to each other, work with each other, and market to each other. And I have just been rereading a book that was given to me 
uh, that he that he wrote called the Gen Savvy Financial Advisor, and it is really really impactful. So welcome, Cam, to the Money and Meaning Show. I appreciate the invitation. Thanks very much. Well, th- thanks again. So before we start, Cam, do you mind just telling the audience a little bit about yourself and, and your family? Sure. We. Um well, I started this business that we're talking about, Generational Insights, uh, over 20 years ago now. We focus on workplace and workforce trends. We study all the demographics that shape those two things, the workplace and the workforce. Then we interpret that content for clients to give them some actionable ideas. In other words, here's a better ways to recruit, better ways to retain, better ways to advertise job postings, better ways to sell or market. and. We, all, we use all the demographic information that's available out there to put together these plans. That's, as far as the family life, I live here in Mobile, Alabama, which is where I was born and raised. My wife and I moved back here 10 years ago. We've got a, four kids between the ages of 16, and we got the twins are about to turn 12. So 16, 14, and the twins will turn 12. Wow. And uh, it's a... It's a busy household. We couldn't have held this conversation half an hour ago due to the pandemonium going on here of, I think three of them couldn't find two shoes. And there was a debate about where, whose shoes were missing and who had them last. And, you know, you may remember those days. I do. And, and Mike uh, is very familiar with those days right now. Sounds like my morning yeah. as well. Yeah, he's, he's, um, he's sort of in the same boat. Um, so um, how did you get involved in this type of study and in getting involved in studying the generations? It's an odd, uh, it's an odd focus, quite frankly. I, it's probably not a lot of folks that you know that do what I do, but it originated out of a uh, business that I began in Charlotte, North Carolina, about 20 years ago, 20 some odd years ago, where I was asked to do focus groups and exit surveys for what I would call regional employers. They didn't feel like the employees were giving them good feedback. They, the, the, they weren't getting true explanations of the motives of the employees, and they wanted a third party to come in and help because they felt like it gave more candid feedback. So it began with exit surveys and focus groups for employee groups, and we began to identify trends. People were doing things uh, for reasons that we had never seen before. This was at the time Generation X was entering the workplace. And I would uh, essentially turn over my findings to my clients, say, here's what I've been told, and here are some suggested solutions. And after doing that for several years, in your mind's eye, if you would imagine a bookshelf full of three ring binders, all with data generated from each of these projects. Yeah. We kind of metaphorically crammed it all together, found trends in it, went to the HR audience at the time and said, I think I've got some information for HR groups that would be of interest in, but regarding employee trends, they were very interested and it got us started doing that. And then one day someone from GE was in one of these small audiences and said, if you can apply this to sales, we'd be very interested in how we could utilize this content in a selling environment. So we went back to work and about 18 months later produced a book on selling across the generations and it led to a whole new marketplace. So we do work on workplace and marketplace and it all came out of the original research 20 years ago. We continue to update that research but it began 20 years ago. Okay, wow, interesting. So so tell me why it's important to understand the generational differences, and I guess I'm, I'm really curious for our audience how this understanding has any value outside the marketplace, or, or if it does, in particular with families. Well, I think that one of the 
in my opinion, primary reasons for understanding the generational differences is so that you can better understand the people around you. We all have generational biases and preferences. And our thoughts are generally, if I like it for this reason, whatever that may be and whatever we're talking about, if I like it for this reason, I'm gonna presume you're gonna like it for the same reason. Whether it be a product, a car, a service, a fund, whatever it may be. Once you begin to understand generational preferences and how they're unique, I can then begin to understand how you see the world and better communicate job uh, ideas to you, product preferences, etc. For families, it becomes very important in succession planning uh, mm. for small family-owned businesses, or even uh, when your succession your, your succession plan is not a family member but a next generation that you're trying to sell your business to. I need to understand how this next generation sees the opportunity. Similarly, if I'm that next generation, I need to see how this understand how this previous generation values what they've built. And a lot of this can be boiled down to generational preferences in and around the workplace and products and things like that. So oh, yeah. when it comes to families, uh, I, you know, as a father, none of my children are in the workplace yet, but it will, it will be important to me that I understand that they see the value of work and it's going to have a generational difference to it. And for me to best motivate and encourage my own children, I need to understand that versus saying, this is the way I did it when I was your agent. By golly, this is the way you need to do it too. Yeah. It yeah. just leads to fights. It leads to people leaving the room with red faces, and I don't want to be a part of that. Well, and, and I, you know, I look at the, I look at some of these ideas about leadership and influence. And if you want to influence your children or your grandchildren or your son-in-law, mm-hmm. as an example, uh, understanding the the lens that they see the world that may be different than yours, I can just see tons of applications uh, in in all walks of life. You know, it's it's been my experience that many people, at some point in their life or career, reach a point where the thrill of the game or the accumulation of stuff or the trappings of quote success are not as fulfilling as they once were, and that's really sort of the genesis of this show. And for many, it comes in their 50s. Some call this halftime or halftimers, and, and you know, it's a time in life where you have to take a pause and maybe go to the, the locker room and strategize how to have more purpose and meaning in the second half. Does any of your research support that idea? I think there are two answers to that. Uh, the first answer is yes, because I'm seeing it personally. I turned 50 back in March, and the approaching that that birthday caused me to begin to reevaluate a lot of things. So, yeah, personally, I see it. Professionally, though, I see it as well. You're looking for more purpose. You're looking for more, I call it slaying the dragon. You're no longer interested in slaying the dragon and standing over that carcass with the sword over your head. You're more interested now in purpose and meaning and support and help and contributing to the greater good and finding something that that drives you more than the success of uh, things that you put on your wall or a bank account, things like that. For myself personally, I call it CAM 2.0. I've been working on CAM 2.0 now for about 18 months <laughs> and it coincided with the arrival, with the predicted arrival and since March, uh, my 50th birthday and is is this all there is what else is out there and I think you hear a lot of people my, uh, coming around their 50th birthday beginning to look for another job something that provides more meaning something that provides more stimulus yeah that 
that midlife, mid-chapter, it's tough when you realize there are likely fewer days ahead than behind. And you begin to say, is this uh, what it's all about? What else is out there? Okay. And you see push to faith. You see push to different types of jobs, different uh, roles in your jobs, mentoring, support, help. Yeah, it's a big transition. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so is there, uh, in your work in studying the generations and how we communicate and influence each other um, and try to understand each other, is there a danger in pigeonholing someone? Because, again, I, I think we've all met, uh, you know, 30-year-olds who act like 70-year-olds and 70-year-olds who act like 30-year-olds. Is there, is there some danger in having these preconceived ideas about the way people operate based on their age i want we want in most most in my presentations i try to define the difference between preferences and biases which Mm. is what i study and Mm. stereotypes Mm. very quickly a stereotype says anybody that is in this age group only behaves this way Mm. and like you said we all have examples of people that don't behave like their quote-unquote generational age should behave So, yeah, there is a danger in stereotyping people. I'm going to give my clients preferences and biases of their clients and say, I want you to have these in the forefront of your mind when you deal with these different generations. However, it is is very possible that they won't fit. If they don't fit, we punt and do something else. But this is likely what you're going to see in them. So, yeah, there is a danger of stereotyping. We don't give individuals rules uh, room to be unique when we stereotype. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad you used the term unique because I'm, I I think there, and I don't think it's inconsistent. I, I mean, I really do believe um, that you can appreciate how each individual is unique and gifted and have their own unique characteristics and, and histories, but still try to be an effective leader by speaking to people in the way that's most comfortable for them, which is often because of their environment, you know, the environment they grew up in or the environment they were, um, you know, um, inf- influenced by. Mike, you have any thoughts on, on, on that? The, f- the thing that comes to mind is the thought of the golden rule versus the platinum rule. And if you haven't heard this one, the golden rule is treat others the way you'd want to be treated. But the platinum rule is treat others the way they'd want to be treated. Right. Right. And so the more you can understand the person who you're either having a relationship with or trying to speak with, you're better able to apply that platinum rule, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I agree. And and like I said, um, uh, you know, and I mean, this shows a really good example. I mean, I think we have three of your generational cohorts represented right here in in the room uh so as we collaborate i mean it's it's really it's it's really valuable so you know i'm really interested in a lot of the stuff you write about as it relates to the great recession um in one of your books you wrote the great recession and its aftermath altered the financial outlook for every generation in a different way new generational attitudes have surfaced in response to new realities and each generation has a different investing and financial outlook. You know, one of the best things about your presentations, although there are many, many things, Cam, about your presentations that are awesome, but you do do a really good job of going through these different uh, generational cohorts. So could we just talk briefly about these four primary cohorts and just get a couple thoughts on them? Oh, I'd be happy to. Sure, lead you through them. Yeah. Tell me where you want to start. Well, you start with the matures, I believe, in your, in, in, at least in the document that I have. So tell us a little bit about about that group that you call the matures. I call the matures, other ones will call them the GI generation, the silent generation, the greatest generation. There's not a 
agreed upon terminology for this group. They predate the baby boomers. They begin 1945 and prior. Uh, their characteristics are obviously the wartime efforts in and around the United States. They're, you know, they're, they're fading, let's face it. They're a generation that's fading fast. I've got a 98-year-old grandmother who lives down in Florida that's a member of this generation. Value systems are often, uh, this is a little strong to say, but military-oriented. They're a command and control. They are generally obedient and disciplined. Uh, they fit, they've gone through hardship. They're rule followers. And when I find my clients who have them as their clients, I tell them, you need to ask this generation for their rules of engagement. Say, what do I need to know to work with you? What is important to you? How do I need to react and respond to you? Give me your rules and I will follow your rules. So rules are very key and important to this generation. And uh, big fans, they are big fans and have earned the right to deference. You treat Hmm. the senior members of the society with deference. You stand up, you give them your seat whenever you can. You 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 respect the efforts that they've gone through and change your behavior around them out of reflection of that respect. It's very common in Asian communities. It used to be more common here, but this generation still recognizes it when they receive it and they really value it. Wow. Okay. Well, the next group I'm, I'm intimately familiar with because I'm at the tail end of them, um, and it's the largest segment, I believe, may, maybe not anymore, but tell us about the boomers, which I think is your next group. Sure, but the baby boomers born between 1946 and 1964, without a doubt the most influential generation in the financial services world right now. They have the majority of the assets, uh, where however it be counted, are today in the boomers' hands. They uh, they got really kind of punched in the mouth in 2008, and the they are still working to get back on their feet. The oldest elements of the baby boomers have likely retired. The youngest elements of the baby boomers, called the trailing boomers or the following boomers, are struggling to get their feet under them in preparation for retirement. They are parents of the millennial generation generally. You'll find some exceptions to that rule, but they are generally the parents of the millennial generation. And they began this helicopter trend of parenting. They became the helicopter parents over their millennial children. The boomers are very team-oriented, group-oriented, eye contact. They want to hear from you. They want to see you. They want your reassurances that things are going well. They're a very, very important group today. Now, I do have to correct you. Population-wise, they are second in place to the millennials. The yeah, millennials that's what I was wondering. outpopulated yeah. the baby boomers yeah. at this point. And let's face it, at this age, particularly the older baby boomers, they will quickly uh, become let's say the millennials will quickly be a larger and larger generation compared to the baby boomers in real time due to the fact that at this age the oldest members of the baby boomers are seeing more deaths yeah so very important very popular our culture today in the workplace and the marketplace largely originated from the baby boomers gotcha yeah and and i know you wrote in some of your material that many of these baby boomers uh are reluctant to retire and um Tell me, do you think the source of that is, you know, because they are finding meaning in their work, or are there other are there other causes? I think there's a, there's there's not a single. I think there's several. One of which is there's a fear of what am I going to do when I retire? Because uh, I, I don't know how to occupy my time. 
more boomers, and I don't have data on this, but this is after 20 years, more boomers don't have hobbies as previous generations did that they look forward to pursuing hmm. following retirement. They have work and they think about travel. They think about maybe playing golf, but after six or eight weeks of retirement, they decide this isn't what I thought it would be. And either out of boredom, uh, out of lack of meaning, go back to work. The second one though is more concerning that there's continuing to work and that is lack of retirement preparedness, particularly these trailing boomers. 2008 hit, these trailing boomers had children that should have been getting a toehold in the economy, but due to 2008, those kids had to stay at home longer. The, the parents had to help them with rent. The parents had to supplement their life in some way or another. I'm talking about the boomers' children, the millennials here. And those baby boomers were unable to prepare for retirement at the ages that they should have been really socking it away. Today, many of these trailing boomers, and it's one of the more fascinating elements of my work, many of these trailing boomers, nearly all of them have adult children, but many of them continue to support their adult children who are fully employed, mm -hmm. uh, gainfully employed. They can't stop paying some of their children's bills. And no one can explain to me why, even these baby boomers, and I'll ask them, raise your hand if you're one of these trailing boomers who are still paying your kids' bills. And there's always eight or ten hands going up. Why? And they, they shrug their shoulders. They can't figure it out. It's this compelling desire to help their children. And more often than not, it's the cell phone bill. Yeah. Uh -huh. So um, they're usually in a bind yeah. when it comes to retirement savings, and there's no generation more than them, the trailing boomers, that needs to get their act together and prepare themselves. Okay, well that's that's uh, that's insightful, and um, I think we have we have work to do, Mike. Yeah, sounds like guys. it. So, uh, so so let's move to Generation X. Can you give us a couple of bullet points on on what you describe as Generation X? Born between 1965 and 1979, they're a smaller population than both the boomers and the millennials. Uh, they consider themselves experts. No generation more than the Generation Xers uh, create spreadsheets when considering what things they're going to buy. It's a new lawnmower. It's a new air conditioning system. They're stalkers of products and services. They're a little bit jaded. They're a little bit cynical. They call themselves pragmatic. The truth is they're a little bit cynical. They're nervous about trusting experts, whoever it may be, the doctor, the financial planner, the plumber, you name it. They are kind of skeptical of these self-described experts. They are, uh, they want to educate themselves on the best decisions. So you'll find them, like I said, creating the spreadsheets, shopping around more than any generation ever has before because of their general distrust of the experts out there. They're, uh, they got upside down in their homes. In 2008 got them upside down in their homes. They've come out of that. Uh, but they, uh, they're they kind of gun-shy about many things today, and they're in the throes of raising children, and this generation of parents has had children later than the baby boomers did, adding more stresses to the second half of their life. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, and you, and you do mention that many of them struggle financially, but it sounds like, you know, obviously getting early, early in their careers or in, in the early phases of their careers and then the financial crisis and real estate values and those kind of things. Well, the last group we've, you know, you hear a lot about today and, and for good reason, you just talked about the size and we're, we're represented by, by one of them here. I the am room. a millennial. That is so true. So tell, right. tell us about this, um, this group, the millennials. Well, we've said it twice before, massive, energetic, forward-looking, 
a little bit distrustful of institutions, though, whether it be the banks. The, the banks are always in the media for some reason or another. Uh, distrustful of large government right now. They, there's a, been a push through the spring, of, and we see this in politics today, of anything but uh, what we got now in voting that way. We see a push towards socialism right now in some of the millennials. Um, very, like I said, forward-looking. What is going to happen? Where are you going to take me? They are. There is this hope in many of them that they will inherit money from their parents, whether it be the the value of the house or the real estate that the house is on, or some sort of trust fund when the parents finally uh, pass away. And there's a you know evidence to say that this is not going to happen. Those baby boomer parents or the millennials are going to spend every dollar they have just trying to stay alive going forward. So. Uh, they're the young. They're the parents of the youngest children today. They are having children at older ages than even the Generation Xers did. That is going to put even more pressures on their second half of their life. Most people in the second chapter of their life really double down on their retirement saving. However, this generation is going to have young children in the second half of their life dealing, dealing with those bills, those um, responsibilities and trying to deal with their retirement savings at the same time. So gotcha. a lot of interesting uh, yeah. a lot of interesting crossroads ahead for this generation. Not exactly sure how they're going to react to them, but it's a interesting future for yeah, them. No, no question about it. I, I, I think one of the things that disturbed me the most about your book um, is, according to your research, how risk-averse and reluctant to save and, and how they avoid you know stocks and i think i think you even had a uh you had a survey that quoted 40 percent agreed with the statement i will never feel comfortable investing in stocks and so this gives me you know some great concern about their ability to compound wealth over time if 40 percent of the millennials have given up on being a shareholder in the world's great businesses any any advice on how to influence this group in a positive way we know that uh there are a couple of things they look forward so Many people that I work with in your position want to look at the track record of either a stock or the Dow Jones or whatever it may be. They look historically to provide the evidence that things will work out. Yes, there are spikes and troughs, but look over time at this. What I advise is we always look forward with this generation of what you can expect and where things will go. We're going to acknowledge the, uh, the, the spikes and the troughs in the background, but here's what this is going to do for you. Here's what you can expect. You don't promise anything, but over time, things trend up. We need to make these investments so you can benefit from the trending up. Stop looking at 2008. 2008 hit us all in a unique way. It deeply scarred the millennials based on what happened to their parents and their peers and their peers' parents. However, we can't stop driving them forward to say, here's what your future will look like. If we get only wrapped up in, let's look at the history of the stock market, they're going to point to the troughs. Right. So we push forward. And secondly, we want to apply emotion. And there's there's evidence behind this reasoning, but you're going to like it. You're going to enjoy it. It's going to be of interest to you. You hesitate to say investing in stocks is going to make you happy, but you're going to want to say the future is going to be brighter. You're going to feel more confident and greater results. We're going to put emotions on it that we perhaps wouldn't have to other generations. None of these things are going to make a member of this generation leap to their feet and say, I've been waiting for you my entire life. They are <laughs> going to make them listen a little bit more, and that's what we're going for. Very cool. Very mm -hmm. cool. Well, Cam, th this show is all about 
money and meaning and helping people create the financial freedom to pursue their vision of a meaningful life. And, you know, and you talked about some of the factors, while some of these cohorts and some of these individuals are not are not on track. Any final advice um, for us as um, as holistic wealth advisors? I would say and I, 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 there are some people out there that you're going to talk to that are going to truly gravitate to your message and what you're trying to do. They are going to be glorious clients and you're going to or, or, or glorious peers in the industry that, that you have something in common and you're trying to create a better future for whomever you're talking about. And as you know, those are special people. You develop special bonds. There are some people that just aren't going to listen regardless. And I, I usually get wrapped up around the ones that don't listen to my advice regardless, where I can see that I can help them, but for whatever reason, they discount my advice or my teachings or my, uh, my evidence or my research. And in the past, I would get wrapped up about that. I mean, and I'd get upset and say, I've got something that I think can help you. Yeah. Now I've learned that perhaps as a part of CAM 2.0, you wash your hands, you walk away, and you focus on the ones that you know you can really help. Yeah. So um, you don't add personal value to the people that, do, that that don't buy. You add personal value to the ones you know you can help, and you get comfortable with saying, I'm not going to get personally offended. I'm going to let them go. There's nothing more that I can do. I'm going to focus on these ones that I can help with, Yeah. Well, that, uh, that I can help. Yeah, yeah. That, that speaks to something Mike and I have talked a lot about, being clear on who we are and what we believe and, you know, I, I know Simon Sinek talks a lot about, you know, being clear on what you believe and you'll attract people who believe what you believe. And um, and um, but this is all very, very useful. You know, just a final couple of things. I wanted to make sure the audience knows who you are. Uh, is there anything in particular you're working on right now that's really exciting uh, for you? 20 years, we've looked at the history of the workplace and the history of the generations that compose the workplace to better understand them and give my clients things that they can do to impact and connect with these things. Another part of CAM 2.0, and I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but I'm now looking forward. What is the workplace going to look like in five years, and what are managers and employers going to need to do to recruit and retain people? What is the number one reason someone's going to quit their job 10 years from now? What is the number one reason your top performer is going to quit their job 10 years from now? What is it? We're calling it re-architecting of the workplace based on technology and generational trends, and that's where I'm sinking my teeth right now. That's where my research is taking me today. Well, that's that's valuable. Uh, do you have resources for um, individuals, or is it almost all corporate or industry type settings? We do a good bit of the corporate and industry stuff, but more and more beginning the one-on-one consulting as people are needing help connecting more with the people in their workplace or their clients. So okay. it's a new push for me in, and I use air quotes here, consulting with yeah. my clients one-on-one to help them be better at whatever it is that they're doing. Well, this is terrific. So where can we find you on social media, web pages, those kind of things for our audience? CamMarston.com, C-A-M-M-A-R-S-T-O-N.com. You'll find my website and all the social media links that I maintain there and uh, contact pages and phone numbers, et cetera. CamMarston.com is the best place to get it all. Okay, per- perfect. So like I said, I, I know you have a really busy calendar, as I mentioned uh, to the audience. Cam is a is a really a popular speaker on the uh in in our industry as well as others and so thanks again for for taking a few minutes any anything you'd like to leave us with before we before we sign off here 
I, I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate your efforts. I appreciate you asking the questions and providing this content to your listeners. It's always nice to find somebody that's, you know, pushing good content out there, and I'm flattered to be a part of it today. Thank you very much. Well, th- thanks so much, Cam. Yeah, that's kind of you to say. I know I took a lot of notes, Cam, so I appreciate you being on with us. So there it is, folks, another episode of the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier. I hope you found today's uh, discussion helpful. I know I did. Listen, if uh, if you would, please go to search Money and Meaning on iTunes and go ahead and give us a five-star. If you like today's content, feel free to share it as well. And uh, listen, if you're also looking for previous episodes or more content, you can always check out Jeff's blog at tandemgrowth.com forward slash perspectives. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to help you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions for Jeff or Mike or comments on the show, feel free to reach out to us at moneyandmeaning at tandemgrowth.com or you can find us on the web at www.tandemgrowth.com. Jeff Bernier is the President and Chief Investment Officer at Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. This show is a production of Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC. All information discussed is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as specific financial, legal, or tax advice. Listeners should consult an attorney or tax professional regarding their specific legal or tax situation. Listeners should not rely on the content of this podcast as the basis for any investment decisions. A professional advisor should be consulted, and or independent due diligence should be conducted before implementing anything discussed in this show. While information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, does not guarantee its accuracy, and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, does not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information prepared by any unaffiliated third party, such as guests on the podcast, and takes no responsibility for the same.